welcome to this week's edition of the Football Fan Show podcast. I'm Jenna Harrington, joined by Thomas Moore this week. We're talking Manchester United. Ollie at the wheel is now gone. So there's a new driver at the wheel, Michael Carrick, although he's soon to be replaced by Ralph Rangnick when he gets a work permit. So, with that said, we're also talking about the government-led fan... Well, the government... Uh, review, fan-led government review, I should say, into football, which is going to happen, and an ex-Premier League manager being linked with the club at the bottom end of the Football League, Oldham Athletic. Find out who at the end of the podcast. Let's get into it. There is some big news this week. We got rid of Ollie at the wheel, is gone. He left on Sunday. We've got Michael Carrick in. I'm surprised they didn't already offer him a 10-year contract based on uh, what happened midweek. But alas, alas, alas. Uh, what, can we just have a, a quick just pause, Tom, for, for you to just say, you know, you must be heartbroken that the greatest Liverpool manager has been sacked by Manchester United. He was God's gift to comedy. <laughs> It's yeah, it's heartbreak. It's heartbreaking for every person who's not a United fan. Um, Pretty much. I mean, you're an Arsenal yeah, fan. You, you, they call you guys the banter club. Right. I think you were replaced. Yeah, as the banter club. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think um, you know. To be fair, every top six team is having its turn over the last few years. Obviously, last season it was Arsenal. This season we seem to have a nice cocktail of a uh, Spurs with a, a mixer of Man United as well. Um, but yeah, they um, they all seem to be going um, going that route. Um, obviously, you know, as a, you know, when you think of Premier League managers going up against Man United in the first ten games of the season, you can imagine the halftime team talk of any manager at Old Trafford would have been lads. It's United. Michael Carrick's obviously stepped in. Obviously, he was I think he was a massively underrated player. Um, I think you know he's been part of the backroom coaching staff since Fergie left. He's He's essentially the player who could. He's got the ideal transition into into the role of a manager because he's had, you know, he's you know been the assistant. I think it, I can't remember if he was the assistant to Moyes, but he was the assistant to Van Gaal. He was assistant to um, he helped out Mourinho, uh, Ole, and things like that. You know, so he's had the benefit of having many different managers with many different perspectives um, come through, and you know he's. Possibly had the most. He's had the ideal upbringing in management, shall we say? So, but you're right. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if um, Man United offered him a ten-year contract there and then. Obviously, they definitely don't have the money to try and, uh, you know, tempt any big names out there. Because I, I remember as soon as Ole got sacked, I was reading that um, Zidane was at, um, you know, he was the odds-on favourite to become the next United boss. And I remember reading that, and I was like. And I was and I was thinking that I, I know a certain radio host who would probably be sick to his stomach about Zidane of the Premier League. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, well, you know, if, if if apparently Zidane's wife doesn't want to come to England, which is fantastic for his career because he'd get found out quicker than he got found out at the end at Real Madrid. But uh, that hey, Zidane does factor into a story which I'll get get into later. Uh, we'll start with, and I've got something funny. I've got something funny. So, Sean and Jacob, your boy, I hope you appreciate this. Tom's already seen it because I sent I sent this to you on Facebook. So, so I saw this. I'm going to steal it. Actually, you know what? I'm not going to say I saw it. I'm going to steal it and claim it as my own. So, for Arsenal 2, Newcastle United nil. all I want to say, and I'm going to sing now, so apologies, because <clears throat> I can't sing. 
to Newcastle. I say this. You've played in Rotterdam and everywhere. Liverpool and Rome. Now you're at Rotherham. Rotherham at home. Rotherham at home. <laughs> yes! Rotherham at home. Newcastle United mm. have lost 2-0 away. At our, and to be fair, it's Arsenal. So um, I think I should probably save judgment. But yeah, they, they, look, they need the January window, don't they? they they're kind of hopeless. Yeah, definitely. I think... <laughs> I, th- I think the hangover that Newcastle United fans have had from the Saudi takeover of, you know, it's definitely the realization of we've got Saudi owners and we're still shit. Yes, um, because well, they, they, they had well, the thing is they had Mike Ashley before who was like, "Oh, you want this player? How much is he going to cost?" Now I'll just get some shoes from Sports Direct instead. That's where I'll spend my money. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Which is where you know, I got my new I shoes think... from. <laughs> And yeah. this nice I mean, new balance t shirt. I mean, to be fair, at least, um, I mean, Mike Ashley did bring silverware to Newcastle United. The problem was it was forks for the kitchen. I was going to say, yeah, it was cutlery. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, great minds think alike. It was a, I, th- I think, I think um, once they've had, they're going to need a, at least a couple of transfer windows because. I mean, if you look, I was re- I was reading an article the other day about the worst owners in the pre- who in the past in the Premier League, and um, and I cannot remember the full names of the two guys, but I remember um, the owners before Liverpool were bought by FSG. Um, Gordon, oh, Hicks Gillette and Gillette, or something you like mean that. Hicks and Gillette? Yeah, Hicks and Gillette. Yeah, I know exactly who you and mean. Then, yeah, and then they had a Pompey's uh, four Russian owners. Their miraculous, their uh, god awful descent down the ladder. Um, obviously, Leeds United have had 16 years of terrible owners. Um, so, yeah, all, you know, all we're seeing is obviously something that's happened in the Premier League before, something coming full circle. Um, the Saudi owners are going to need at least two or three transfer windows before any impact is felt. It's um, it's interesting because now that they've got all this money, you can expect Newcastle United to be the team now in every transfer window to be linked to any kind of player. Like I was reading today that... Um, uh, Newcastle looking at a move for um, Usman Dembele from Barcelona. You know, <laughs> is he gonna is he gonna do the same kind of transfer to Newcastle United from Barca as he did from Dortmund to uh, Barca, where he t- he's named in the squad and then ends up on a plane up to t- up to Tyneside. He's named in the Barcelona squad, bearing in mind he's on a private charter jet to uh, to uh, Tyneside. He's um he's he's currently driving through a uh, been led through a ma- by a massive Range Rover through South Shields, um, <laughs> spits on, spits on Gateshead as he goes past, <laughs> hey. and then, hey, and then uh, it turns up at Newcastle. Yeah, I, I would. I want to see. see probably spit on some of I was going to say I'd want to see that thick French accent say "Why well, hey, the lads?" <laughs> Why I man? Why I man? Let's get into the uh, biggest news of the week, and we're going to start with, and I don't know if you, if anybody's seen this, but this is massive news, and that is that there is a government, and I know that's a that's a bad word to say, government fan rev- led review, and it apparently has asked Premier League clubs to pay a ten percent levy on transfer fees. Jacob, your boy, don't worry, it's not about politics. 
it's more about it is it has got something it's kind of like you know how you, you have stamp duty on a house it's a stamp mm. duty for transfers and then that that 10 percent would get spent elsewhere in the game um there's also obviously a, a call for an independent regulator i've spoken at, i think we uh, you know we spoke at kind of we, sp- we yeah last season we I mean, we t- we touched on it when we were talking about, you know, there needed to be an ind- a body independent of the FA um, to review to essentially review the game because obviously the re- the FA itself is obviously going to be, you know, it's self serving. Let's be honest. I mean, they're all self serving. Uh, let's let's be honest. Whether it's the Premier League, whether it's the EFL, uh, and whether it's the FA. Now, my my personal gripe has never been against the the FA is as flawed an organisation as it obviously is, and we all know it's flawed. My gripe is not against the Premier League. My biggest gripe is against the EFL for being just one of the worst organisations going. And if you heard Rick Parry, the um, Aston Villa chief exec, on TalkSport this week, he was talking about how the clubs that have come in... By the way, your your vape is a nice effect on you. It, lo- it looks like you're about to come out for an entrance for, to a professional wrestling show. <laughs> It's great. It's fantastic. Um, he was talking about how you know clubs that have come up from the championship. Uh, he, I think he named dropped Brentford and uh, I can't remember who else he named dropped, but he definitely named dropped Brentford and said you know they compared how the EFL is run to how the Premier League is run and the like the professionalism of how the Premier League is run is on a different level uh, to the EFL. But then again, that's probably because there's so much money involved now. Let's be honest, the EFL is not fit for purpose. My idea was always, and this was touted by the Guardian last year, that the championship should break away and do, form it, and do its own thing. Because clearly the, mm. the amount of money that is spent... So the championship budget is about $2 million. They They get in television money, apparently. They get around $2 million. Now, if Now, Sky aren't paying, what, uh, just shy of $100 million to watch to broadcast games of Oldham Athletic no offense oh they're not going to go for Oldham Athletic Harrogate Town that's not going to get a prime time viewing slot on a Friday night they mm. want they want um you know Sheffield United Coventry City Birmingham City um Fulham Bournemouth uh West Bromwich Albion these are the teams you want you don't want to watch uh you don't want to watch whoever wins the National League this season, whether it's Wrexham or not, unless Ryan Reynolds mm. turns up. Otherwise, you're not interested. You're not paying all that money. Mm. So if the championships, if the championship with 24 clubs split away from the Premier League formed the Championship League or something like that, let's use that as a working title. Um, I know a lot of people are, are opposed to a Premier League too, but the EFL is really not fit for purpose. Let, EF, let the EFL merge with the National League. And have, you know, League 1, League 2, League 3, League 4, North and South. League 4, North and South. Scrap the League Cup. Um, you can still have the League, the, the the EFL trophy, but it'll just be League 1, League 2, League 3, League, league 4 clubs. Um, but the championship clubs, it, it's clear that there's a gulf when, you you know, your, your budget, your television revenue from the championship... Um, uh, when the television revenue from the championship is about two million, and your TV revenue from the Premier League or the rights money is like a hundred million, to the, it like it's it's ridiculous. It's 
it's yeah. ridiculous how how bad it is. So clearly something needs to change. I mean, if you get, um, I mean, to be fair, I mean, like let's let's have a look at the idea. I mean, they've obviously brought in this Europa Conference as well. Why not allow? Um, the top performing championship clubs as well a chance to compete at a European level because obviously it's not gonna it's not gonna bring in extra ad revenue obviously again the teams that are in the Europa Conference you know the Europa League you know gets its own viewership because you know those te- the winning teams obviously get to compete in the Champions League it gets good local viewership from local teams to play there obviously the Europa Conference is not going to do anywhere near any of the numbers that you know, the Europa League and the Champions League do. So, you know, why not just give them a chance and actually boost the, the you know, boost the exposure for these championship level teams? I mean, when you've got, play, when you've got teams like Spurs that are considered the big six club playing against the Slovenian champions, you know, yeah, again... It's a chance for them to play the kids. Mm. Like the like the, um, uh, the Mickey Mouse trophy uh for League yeah. One and League Two clubs where they have the uh, Premier League Academy teams, which I'm dead against and they should just replace them with the National League teams. Uh Sean says mm. you mentioned Coventry and uh her brother George fell over. Well you know what I was working last night at Gloucestershire and obviously Gloucester is a big rugby town and they were playing in Coventry. They were playing Wasps and about eight thousand people were there in that Rico arena that holds around thirty thousand. So I think Wasps' move to Coventry has not worked out for them, but that's rugby. Uh, <laughs> we'll wait for the rugby fan show to pick that up because uh, you can't find that on this channel. I don't know. You know what I realised last night? I know fuck all about rugby. <laughs> yeah, the sa- yeah, same as me. I mean, I, I, I can't dr- even blag. I, mean, I can't even blag it. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, dr- I drove to Bath last night. Um, about both I got into Bath for that. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Oh, mate, it was absolutely horrible. I mean, Bath is a nightmare to park in at the best of times. But uh, I literally got it. Yeah, but during the rugby, it's absolute chaos. Like, you know, it's, it's quite it's quite literally a time where Bath, you know, everyone thinks, you know, Bath, nice and expensive, sophisticated places, sophisticated living, literally, quite literally turns into places like Longwell Green and Radstock <laughs> down in the West It's country. hilarious, though, because they're... Um... Their rugby grounds right in the middle of the city. Their club shop is actually on the high street. It's not actually at the ground. It's on the high mm. street as well. They've got a proper yeah. good shop as yeah. well. But um, yeah, uh, back to these proposals. So the other proposals include a golden share held by supporters that could veto key elements and changes of a football club, uh, i.e., selling the ground and name name changes. So it could prevent. You know, remember when Cardiff City changed their 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 kit from blue to red, and the whole city owner wanted yeah. to um, change the name to Whole mm. Tigers, although that was more apparently in spite of the fans, apparently, not really marketing-wise. Mm. He just, you know, they, the owners they don't like the fans. Uh, they want um, yeah. limits on the I amount mean, of money. More. Go on. I was going to say that another more famous um, example was when, um, briefly, Newcastle United rebranded St. James's Park to the SportsDirect.com oh, Sports Direct, Yes, I remember that. SportsDirect.com Stadium. Oh, what was it? It was convoluted because it was like Sports Direct at St. James's Park or something like that. Or the St. Or St. James's Park Sports Direct Stadium or something like that. I think it was Sports Direct at St. James's Park or something like that, which makes it sound like they've got a store or something. Do they have a store? <laughs> the club shop is now a Sports Direct. Not anymore. Uh, limits on the amount of money owners can put into a club, <laughs> which I find ridiculous from the get-go because you've allowed Manchester City to do it. You've allowed Manchester United to do it. You've allowed Chelsea to do it. You've allowed... Uh, I mean, Liverpool don't really 
do it because they haven't got the wealthiest owners, but you've allowed Aston Villa to do it. You've allowed Everton to do it. You've allowed every club on the face of the earth to do it. So if I was a billionaire tomorrow and I bought Swindon Town, I'd be demanding to be able to shove my own company's name on the shirt and give it a £100 million sponsorship deal, giving it... Yeah, that's what I would do. And the fact that they're not letting... Obviously, they're not letting Newcastle do that. Because if they were sponsored by Saudi, the airline for Saudi Arabia, or Aramco, the oil company, then that could be the most lucrative sponsorship deal in Premier League history. But it's not going to happen, which I find (laughs) ridiculous. Mm. Um, Compulsory relegation and promotion clauses in players' contracts. I feel feel that that's needed. Salary cap also. The Championship, League One, League Two, mm. not a salary cap for the Premier League. Yeah, salary cap for the Championship and League One, League Two. Yeah, definitely. I think you know more needs to be done than actually in order to protect clubs um, from going into administration. Obviously, particularly at a Championship level, where you know, te- like you know, teams have got no boundary set in place for how much they can offer players because then, you know, the teams that get relegated from the Premier League, like your Newcastle United, so like if Newcastle went out and a spending spree in January and, you know, still somehow got relegated, you know, that's, you know, that's championship teams who are playing their players 10 to £20,000 a week up against players on quarter of a million a week, you know, so, <laughs> so, so, the, but the EFL, the EFL won't step in to actually you know, stop that, you know, there's got to be a fail-safe in place that says, okay, if you if you drop below your budget, you've got to have it written into your players' contracts that uh, because then the, the the players get complacent. They won't care what level they play at as long as they get paid, you know, yeah, as you cool. know, as much as some players do it for the, the love, love of it, or there are some yeah. are just in it for the love of the money. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So until until they start getting a handle on those teams where they say, all right, if you're going to drop down a division, you know, all your players have got to drop down, you know, you, you, let's let's do it. Let's say if you do the, um, you know, if you do the um, salaries in accordance to viewership of each league, you know, saying your player salaries drop by, you know, if you drop by, um, if you drop down from the Premier League to the Championship, you know, your view, the, the, your salary drops down by. You know the you know the the percentage of um, how much viewership has dropped down. You know because if you imagine the difference in viewership and revenue streams that between the championship and the Premier League, you know having that same viewership, you know it does not constitute. It does not justify paying those ridiculous salaries. You know mm-hmm. so actually so actually, you know kind of spurs the play. You get less complacent players. Um, you know, because they know they're fighting for their very, you know, f- to live the the same way that they do. And to live the same way that they do, they'll be very interested in the new two billion pound television deal that the Premier League has just negotiated with NBC in the United States. Two billion quid mm-hmm. for uh, NBC to exclusively broadcast Premier League games. They have been doing it on NBC yeah. Sports. That's been I'm, shut down. So, I mean, uh, do, be, do, yeah. obviously, do you remember you are. I remember, I remember, and you remember. I remember, and you remember very well the hassle of the um, Euro- the European Super League that came mm-hmm. about. Um, but, you know, it seems like a lifetime ago now. But you know, I would not. I mean, 
if the EFL is that poorly run, I would I would not totally be against the idea about you know second and third division clubs across all countries breaking away and forming their own league. Oh, you know, I say it about the championship. I think the championship is is needs to do what the Premier League did, but apparently a lot of people are opposed to a Premier League too. I'm not necessarily opposed to that. I think the EFL needs reforming, and I think it, it, the EFL is a poorly run shit show of an organisation, which I've never been a fan of, and would probably mm. benefit from breaking up. And if they lo- they lost their cash cow once, which was the top mm. six clubs in England, who went on to form the Premier League with the 20 best teams, or the then 24 best teams in the country, now 20. And, and if mm. they were to lose the most watched second division in the world, then uh, they would be up shit creek with that paddle. Because League One is not the, the... As much as they can say, oh, League One is the third... is the, the most watched third division in the world. That's not a great tagline. That's not a great tagline. No. The most watched third division in the world. Yeah, who's playing in that third division? Wigan Athletic. Mm. Um, yeah. That's like someone bragging that they're the best looking, they're the best looking person in the Burns unit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, so yes, uh, 2028, by the way, this NBC £2 billion US television uh, deal is worth. Now, honestly, I think yeah, you know, as I've said, the championship should break away from the EFL, and they don't have a television deal currently in China, and that's where the Premier League makes a lot of its money. Um, and if you've ever mm. wondered who these um, bookmakers are that sponsor all these different clubs, HITC Sevens on YouTube just did a, a very interesting video about um, these Asian bookmakers that are specifically the only reason they sponsor Premier League clubs is that they are targeting Chinese customers in China where gambling is illegal, but you can get around it. Mm. But then if you get found out, instead of getting help, you get put in prison for 10 years. Um, So yes, lovely, lovely stuff. It's it. Football's addiction to gambling companies is like formula one being the only, the only thing that couldn't quit smoking. That it was the only thing that where it quit tobacco and came out worse. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like it's like saying, "Oh no, we don't like the long t- we don't like the long term health effects of tobacco." But blimey, this crystal meth is something else. Yeah, can we <laughs> shove it? Can we shove the the brand name on a on a Ferrari, please? That would help us. Mm. Uh, <laughs> moving on then, and we talk now. Ole at the wheel, uh, because he's no longer at the wheel. So we've we've kind of had our brief discussion on that, but. Um, targets for that Pochettino probably the number one target still unhappy uh, reportedly at PSG and I think there's a common denominator as to why head coaches keep leaving or wanting to leave PSG because we had Emery we've had Tuchel and now we've got Poch and I think I think there's one common denominator that never gets talked about and that's their sporting director or director of football Leonardo Mm. I think he's um, potentially one of maybe the worst directors of football in Europe. Because <laughs> he if all their managers leave, then mm. it's got to be somebody's yes. fault. I, I honestly think that... Um, <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think the, pro- the PSG 
I'm going to poison. You're going to win the French League nearly every year. You know, they, you know, there's really not much competition for them in their own league. You know, so it it seems like easy easy money essentially. Um, but and PSG are trying to proposition themselves as like a global superstar. And let's not get you know let's not get confused. They do have mega drawing power. But at the same time, when you when they come up against a genuine a genuine a team as strong as like let's if you, I mean if you put I mean would you would you consider teams like PSG to be in the same league as someone like Bayern Munich, for example? Oh, absolutely nowhere. Because, no, 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 no. You know, Bayern Munich have got such a good, they've got such a good, strong core football fan base. Whereas, you know, but Bayern Munich are known all over the world. But the the most passionate fans are in Munich. Um, PSG's most passionate fans are in Qatar. Um, and Hollywood. Like the joke in, <laughs> like the joke here is like obviously Man United's, yeah, like Man United's most passionate fans are in London. Um, Until Chelsea stole them all. So, and then Man yeah, City. Pretty much. Yeah, definitely. I think, um, yeah, I'd, for, for me, if I was a manager, if I was a manager and I was looking for my next coaching role and my agent came to me saying, well, PSG have offered you this, Matt, I would, I, I would not want the hassle that PSG would provide me in my life because it's, it's just such a, a, almost like a graveyard of a club. I mean, I've, I've, me and you have said it on and off, like in conversations outside of this podcast. But like PSG, they've got so many superstars. But when you've got that many superstars in one team, you know they it, it's almost you know they almost become petulant and childish. You know, I think there is you one see, person see... that can manage that team, and I, I, I hate saying it, but he's one with a team of superstars. And if he wanted to win another trophy on a silver platter, Zinedine Zidane mm. is either going to get found out at PSG, which I'm hoping he does, but he might not. He might just win more trophies on a silver platter. But that's I see Poch going to United, Zidane, Zidane at PSG, because it, he'll see yeah. it as an easy job. Yeah, definitely. I don't. I think. Uh, I mean, you say it's an easy job, but the fact the fact is, is, PSG have wanted to be taken serious on a European stage for years and years now. Like you know, they want Champions League. They their their goal is to win the Champions League. They don't care about the French league anymore because they know it's pretty much a shoe in. You know, if all the players keep fit and healthy, and they don't gain any more stupid red cards, like you know, PSG's discipline on the European stage is absolutely shocking. I remember watching the Champions League last season. I can't. I think it was. Um, I can't remember how many players they had sent off in one game, but it was, you know, when the superstars know that they're being beaten, you know, and they know they're on the big stage and they can't deliver, they become petulant and childish and they make silly challenges and get sent off. Like, you know, you're you're essentially, a, you're essentially, you know, you're a spineless manager if you go into PSG because you know as soon as, you know, you're not you're not going to try and discipline Neymar and take him out of the team. No. Because then well, players like this are in so tight with the rest of the players like Mbappe and Di Maria and now Leo, Leo Messi. Like, no no one's going to, you know, you're not going to be that manager who's going to tell people like Leo Messi and Neymar to track back now, are you? No, absolutely not. Uh, you know, because because you'll, just, you'll just lose the dressing room. Uh, Mauricio Pochettino has reportedly never asked to leave Paris Saint-Germain. That's despite speculation linking him with Manchester United. That's what their sporting director, Leonardo, uh, told the French media. Poch is the first choice, apparently, for the 
Manchester United manager, but he's not going to be their interim manager. That is the, the, the apparent messiah of football. The god of the Gagan press, uh, Ralph Rangnick, who is who Manchester United have reportedly agreed agreed in principle uh, a fee with uh, Locomotive Moscow, where he's currently the sporting director. And, and, and the thing about Rangnick with me is that he's had more success as a sporting director than he has as a manager, because he was mm. sporting director of of Leipzig, and he's seen as the godfather of the. Gagan Press, which is exactly what, you know, all the German coaches do, you know. Uh, Klopp does it. Uh, um, Tuchel Tuchel does it as well. And the thing about um, Rangnick is that he didn't even invent it himself. It was his team going up against Dynamo Kiev. It was was Ukrainians that came up with it. So I, I'm I, like I don't mean to rewrite history here, but everybody seems to be rewriting history about the Gagan Press and saying, "Oh, it's a German thing." It's not a German thing; it's a Ukrainian thing. Give them their fair dues. It was created. Mm. If I can get the coach up, uh, I can get the name of the coach. Who was it? Uh, uh, forgive me for this shite pronunciation. Pronunciation: Valery Lobanovsky. I'm going with that. Valery Lobanovsky, who was Dynamo Kiev boss. And Ukraine boss. And Soviet Union boss. What was it? Valery Lobanovsky. Valery Lobanovsky. Bless you. Oh, thank you very much. (laughs) Lobanovsky. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like a painful injury. (laughs) No, it sounds Uh, like after you score, you know, you get subbed off by your manager as soon as you score a goal where you chip the keeper. Lobanovsky. Yeah, um, uh, that was te- that was terrible. I'm sorry, guys. I'll, I'll show my way out. <laughs> uh, yeah, so he was a Dynamo Kiev boss and was very successful with that club. And you know, played for the Soviet Union. But it was really much. It was um, a communist. Not to make it political, it was a communist thing. The Gagan Press is for is for communists. Uh, no, no, it's not. <laughs> But um, the th- it was developed in by by him in 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 Ukraine, and then Rangnick had a team that went up against Dynamo Kiev, and he couldn't explain why his team were absolutely shattered uh, because Dynamo Kiev just mm. kept pressing and pressing and pressing and pressing and pressing, and that's where he developed the variation that became the Gagan Press, and and then you know obviously his teams have come up against Klops and and. And Tuchel's a student of of Rangnick uh, as well, so you know uh, everyone seems to have learned from this guy. But he's going to be appointed on a six month contract, uh, reportedly. Still hasn't happened yet. Still hasn't been confirmed. Hence why we haven't reported it. But uh, yeah, he is. He's seen as kind of the godfather of this modern style of football, which isn't modern at all. It dates back to the early eighties, late seventies. Um, but he, uh, yeah, it, it, it's, he just coached a, a sixth tier team that happened to play Dynamo Kiev in a friendly, and then he's developed tactics based on how Dynamo Kiev played back then. So yeah, in 83, that's when it happened. That's when his team played Dynamo Kiev. So that's when his footballing epiphany and he became the godfather of this style of play. Uh, as much as I love counter-attacking pressing, I don't think that's going to help Manchester United. 
uh, at the moment. I think they've got no. way too many problems. It, if you're going to counterattack with a player like Harry Maguire in your back line, you've got no chance because he is he is just. I, I don't know what what is wrong with him, but he does very well in an England shirt. But then again, he's playing like teams like San Marino, so of course you'd do well. Um, but <laughs> that's why I say his levels <laughs> Barnet, um, because they could beat at San Marino. <laughs> but he just, uh, yeah, he seems to kind of disappear in a, well, he does disappear in a United shirt, not kind of, he does disappear in a United shirt. And, uh, you know, what's he going to do about the egos? What's he going to do about Pogba, the egotist of the year? You know, um, what's Podge going to do about him? He can't handle Messi. Is he really the right choice to handle Pogba? Yeah, I'm not sure. No. And that's the, that's again. It just goes back to this thing of like you know, man, having managers who cannot handle superstars and bring the best out of them. You know, to, there's too many. I would say there's probably too many players at United right now who probably rely on their name and their reputation to get them through the to get them through a game. You know, so it's like when when we when I was saying like you know, no manager is going to tell Lionel Messi to track back or. You know, to help cover, you know, to help cover his uh, fullbacks or anything like that, because they won't, they won't do it, you know. And then, if they anyone who did do it would get slaughtered by the press, you know. If you've got people saying, you know, you've got to get Ronaldo to track back and things like that. I mean, to his credit, Ronaldo does track back on occasion, but it's a case of like, I mean, I think I think Man United's re-signing Ronaldo was, was probably one of the things that's not helped them at all. Because, you know, it's kind of forced players like, I mean, Jaden Sancho, they've been picking him for the last seasons, last two summer transfer windows. And when they eventually got him, they've actually they've shoved him to one side where Jaden Sancho's actually got, you know, both Cristiano Ronaldo and Sancho have got ability, but Sancho's got the longevity, you know. You can't, you, the argument has to be had for the fact that, you know, was Ronaldo really brought back just as more of the homecoming and for the shirt sales? My argument would be yes. And to stop him from going to Man City as well. Um, mm. Because they couldn't have that. It, uh, so, yes. At the end of the yeah, day, there's not enough managers out there who can... They want to, they want to give the... I was going to say, they want to, there's too many managers who want to give the superstars the world without actually giving them any kind of discipline. Yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. But we'll see what happens. He hasn't been appointed yet. Michael Carrick still the still the boss in charge. Uh, still Palmeiras won Flamengo nil in the Copa Libertadores final. It's still Villarreal nil, uh, Barcelona nil. Um, by the way, it's, I, I didn't realise it this weekend. It's the Rainbow Laces this week, apparently. And apparently Tottenham sold out their allocation mm-hmm. because of Harry Kane. So good work on that one. Yeah. Um, Beyond that, uh, we've got the African Cup of Nations coming up in a very... Uh, you know what? They need to cancel the African Cup of Nations this year because it, it's just, you know, you've got the African Cup of Nations and then you've got the the World Cup in the same year. It's not. Re- it's a delayed African Cup of Nations as well. Uh, Barcelona apparently just scored against Villarreal. Uh, oh, yeah, Frankie de Jong. Yeah, he's apparently scored. It's 1-0 to Barcelona. Um Klopp has been talking about AFCON and uh, he's been <laughs> he's been criticised for calling it a quote, little tournament. Uh, 
Um, I don't suppose he would call the Euros a, a little tournament. But, uh, yes. Uh, Klopp explained to an offended journalist that his remark, which came after four, the 4-0 the win against Arsenal, um, was a way of expressing his frustration at losing important players at a crucial stage of the season. They're going to lose Mohamed Salah, uh, Ketia, Sadia Mane in a month-long tournament, which runs from January 9th to February 6th. A lot of clubs are going to lose players. I think they should just axe the I think the the sensible thing would be to axe the African Cup of Nations. So here are here are some of the players that are also going to be out on AFCON duty. Uh so other than the Liverpool lads which we've mentioned Arsenal uh so Watford have six players that, that are likely to be uh to uh, feature Arsenal, Palace and Leicester have four players that are likely to be called up as well. And I mean, African Cup of Nations has never been held at a good time of year. And I think there was a, a, a pressure from FIFA a couple of years ago to, to try and play all these continental cup tournaments in the summer when the European season is sorry, being played. Sorry, mate, you're breaking up there. Oh, am I? Um, it's... FIFA trying to put pressure on Afcon to try and play in the summer, which would have which would have happened last year had the pandemic not happened. Um, but obviously, the summer is meant to be the World Cup, which is actually over Christmas. But still, so they'll finish playing in the Premier League probably on the third of January. Because I don't see them playing in the FA Cup third round on the 8th of January because the AFCON group stages start at, on the 9th. Unless they fancy a gruelling schedule, which is what Christmas always is. Uh, so, as an Arsenal fan, I will tell you that uh, Thomas Partey will be probably representing Ghana. So, he's out. Uh, Aubameyang, Gabon, so out. Uh, Nicola, Nicola Pepe, mm-hmm. Ivory Coast, out. Mohamed El Neni, Egypt. So, those are your four players that are out for the African Cup of... But, well, if they get mm. called up. Um, Aston Villa have three. Brentford have three. Mm. Brighton have one. Burnley have one. Chelsea have two, potentially. In um, Mendy and... Uh, Mendy? Isn't that the goalkeeper? Edouard Mendy. Yeah, yep. he's the goalkeeper. Sen- oh, Edouard God, they're going to have to they're gonna have to put that Spanish guy back in goal. <laughs> this is the perfect time for Chelsea to concede loads of goals. <laughs> well, they have to go with Kepa. I've had too many yeah. pants lager. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh, I love that. Yeah, this is... Actually, I've, I've now gone from a, from a position of being against the African <laughs> Cup of Nations to being in favour of it. Um, uh, Hakim Zayek will also be representing Morocco who plays for Chelsea. Uh, Palace have a couple of players out. We've told you about that. Obviously, Wilfred Zaha is going to be representing the Ivory Coast. Uh, although he hasn't been in their last couple of squads, so he might not be. He might not be, because he hasn't been in their last couple of squads. He's seemingly been dropped. So I don't know whether they'll recall him for the major tournament, but that's a big loss for um, Palace, just at a time when they need him. Uh, Everton only have one player. We've told you about the Liverpool lads. Uh, Riyad Mahrez is going to be out for Man City, but he's not a 
regular first-team player anyway. Um, two players at United, both representing Ivory Coast, Bailey and Diallo. Diallo, yes. Um, two players at uh, mm-hmm. Southampton. Watford, though. <laughs> it feels like they could have their entire first-team squad go because they've got uh, Peter Etebo, who could represent Nigeria, Emmanuel Dennis, also Nigeria, uh, William Trosekong, also Nigeria, Iman Lautza, who's uh, Morocco, Adam Messina, who's also Morocco, and Ismaili Assar, who's Senegal. So <laughs> those are some pretty big players. Um, West Ham only have one, that's Saeed Benrama, and Wolves have two. So I think there's only... Uh, is that every Premier League team with an African player? Or at least one player that's going to go? Mm-hmm. Oh, no, yeah. no, no, Tottenham. No, Tottenham. Tottenham, Tottenham apparently don't have a player that's going to go to AFCON. Um, you in favour of AFCON, or do, do you think it should just be... Is it, do, do, Burn, do Burnley have one? Yes, they do. They have one. Maxwell uh, Cornet, who uh, plays for Ivory Coast. Oh, yeah, Maxwell Cornet. He's... Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean that'll be a loss for Burnley because he's the one knocking in the goals for them at the moment. He's been in relatively good form since they signed him. You know, mm, kiss yeah. it. You know, it's amazing what happens when you kiss the wrong bird. Um, <laughs> um, in terms of the Afcon being scrapped, I mean, I think it's unfair to say that the Afcon should be scrapped because you know it's just for this year, not you know, permanently. First of just all, for this year. What what time of the year is the Afcon usually? If so, it's what summer. time of the year is the Afcon usually held? Summer normally. Uh, so the Summer. the original schedule. Let me Google okay. it whilst you chat away. Because um, it was meant to be held yeah, in think, Senegal. I don't even think it should be scrapped because obviously it's it's unfair to say it should be scrapped because like obviously the Euros happened in the summer outside of the season. You know the Afcon get their got to get their tournament out of the way and done. So you know people can't really afford to pick and choose when a tournament should be on based on the convenience of. You know, let's be honest. The you know the wealthiest league in the world. You know, so the the opinions. The you know, if if I call to your the socialist tendencies a little bit, you know, you ca- you cannot postpone a tournament based on the opinions of a privileged few. That's that's very true. I mean, if you look at it true. from a, if you look, it's you know like the world's biggest managers and the biggest clubs can come out and say no, we lose too many big players. But then again, if it if it was the other way around, if it was the Euros that was being held in January, would you know would all the teams be equally as happy to pos- to postpone the tournament by losing all of their top European players? Because then it would be down to the kids to uh, you know pick the teams up through the Christmas period. Yeah, which you know, uh, you, for, just for because Watford, the time, just be- for Watford is going to happen. Mm. Yeah, and I think it's so. Yeah, I think I think it's unfair. I think it should go ahead as planned. Obviously, it's just a one-off that it happens at this time of year. Um, it clash, you know. Obviously, obviously, they can't have it in the normal summertime because it clashes with the World Cup. Um, so yeah, it's just not something that you know really a lot of the big Premier League clubs should really have. Saying, I know a lot of managers are like, you know, when there's international call ups, who don't really want to send this player out for risk of injury or something like that. But 
at the end of the day, if the player wants to play, the decision's got to be left down to the player. Yeah, I concur with that. So you mentioned the World Cup. Let's move on and talk about the uh, the head of the mafia, uh, FIFA, um, because uh, President Gianni, <laughs> Gianni Infantino has accused those opposed to holding the World Cup every two years of fearing losing their elevated status in the game. Not that it's actually on paper the dumbest fucking idea going because you go to the well once too many times and it's the it's you know the what is it diminishing returns that's it um so yeah you go you know, to the, the well tor- once the, tor- too the tournament would begin to mm. yeah i mean you've got you've it's definitely a money grab situation where they want to hold it every two years you know whilst they've still got some suit you know like when you get certain superstars like Messi and Ronaldo, who are in their 30s now, knowing that, they, but for both of them, this will most likely be their last World Cups. Yep. Um, it's just, it's just not. Um, it's, it's definitely a money grab because obviously those two bring in a lot of, you know, a lot of views and a lot of, um, you know, and a lot of casual, a lot of casual fans. So it's, it's a blatant money grab. You can tell um, by FIFA. Um, yeah. Well, we, we need yeah, that. Yeah, I think it's. Um, it's just not conducive to a good football, really. You know, when you when you start making decisions like that, I mean, it's it's been held every four years, apart from during the Second World War. Yep. And it's um, having too much of a thing. Um, as soon as you start having thing. too much of something, then it just becomes, yeah. You know, I believe it was Cheryl Cole who said, "Too much of anything can make you sick." Oh, quoting the great philosopher, the philosophical <laughs> juggernaut that is Cheryl Million Names, whatever her name is now. Um, whatever her surname is That's now. She's Cheryl, my butt. Cheryl, Cheryl, my ass is a rose coal. <laughs> oh. So, yes, um, obviously, UEFA and uh, Conmebol, the South American Federation, set to, set to reject it. Um, in favour of keeping the four-year cycle. If you need to know more, there's a video on our YouTube about it, about the original Saudi proposal and whether it's going to be um, passed or not. Unlikely. But one of the people that was definitely behind it and still is, is Arsene Wenger, uh, former Arsenal manager. But this is not why I bring his name up, because Mikel Arteta has been talking about the former specialist in failure, now replaced, of course, by Jose Mourinho, the actual specialist in failure. But Arsene Wenger left Arsenal back all the way back in 2018, and our AFTV have just had a a whale of a time since Wenger out. Remember those days? Ah, oh, they're good old days. But now, could it be Wenger back in? Because apparently Mikel Arteta would be very much open to welcoming Wenger back in a technical role at the club to help him manage the team. Is this something that Arsenal fans would want, though? That's my question, because, you know, <laughs> you did obviously get the Wenger out, fam! Is it all Wenger's fault, man? <laughs> Which is uh, ridiculous. That is a but, terrible uh, accent. Oh, isn't it? Oh, is <laughs> thank you. Finger out, fam. Finger out, fam. Is that is that better? 
Um, yeah, much better. You know. So, would you like to see Wenger in, or would you like him to stay out? Um, I I would. The the thing is, is that you know a lot of people symbolise Wenger with Arsenal. You know, it's 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 one of those first things you think of. So, I I personally would welcome him back. you know, because he he did he did get shit treatment from a large part of the fan base, and you know he did he did leave, and you know he's he's given the best years of his life to the club, so you know it would be better not to go out, you know, go leave the club under his terms essentially, because it feels like he came, he eventually caved to you know the external pressure that came with um, managing Arsenal through that time. Um, so I think he just needed, you know, I think, he, you know, given that, you know, heroes welcome that heroes return, you know, it, it seems to be the theme of, um, seems to be the theme of most uh, changes off the pitch for clubs at the moment. Obviously, a couple of years ago when Ollie came in and then Frank Lampard came in and things like that, you know, so it just seems to be that, it just seems to be the way it's going. But, you know, I, th- I think, obviously, Arsene Wenger's current role, I think he's like, Head of FIFA Youth Development, um, you know, I think he needs to he needs to work out what his priorities are. You know, could he could he go back to Arsenal and have such a restricted role, more restricted than he had done in the past? Well, I think um, you. Um... My answer. Oh, go on. I was just going to say my answer from him would probably be no that he doesn't feel like he should go back you know backwards for him or is it a step backwards for Mm -hmm. Arsenal in that sense so um, you know I know Mikel Alteta said you know he'd welcome it back to help him manage the club but I mean from from an Arsenal standpoint I can see it being a benefit because you know whilst Arsenal don't have the allure of you know top level Champions League football at the moment and probably still a few seasons away from being able to compete with, compete with Europe's elite at the moment, then a lot of the time, a lot of the uh, attractive propositions, you know, what attracted most players to Arsenal was to play under Arsene Wenger. Um, even even when we got into the, even when we were in the Europa League, um, you know, the attraction to play for Wenger was still there. Um you know, we have neither the European football nor the attraction of Wenger there to entice players to come in. And once we've got a good group of players, you know, it still feels like something missing. So that would probably be the argument from some Arsenal fan side. But then the other argument is, is it not a step backwards then if we're welcoming, you know, if we're bringing home the old war horse? I was going to say, um, you know, it didn't really work for Ollie at the wheel at United having Fergie upstairs trying to help him out I, I don't necessarily think it would be I mm. think it would be more of a hindrance to Mikel Arteta but he's the one that's calling for it so if he thinks it'll help him why why not but I, I think it would be more of a hindrance to him than a, than a help I think he needs oh, to definitely. I think even Arsene Wenger would tell him that I, I think even Arsene Wenger's an yeah. honest guy I think he would just say no you need to do it yourself mm. and I know there's a lot of respect between you know, the two because he was Arsenal captain under Wenger but still you know I think Arsene Wenger would be the first one. You've got to be your own man in this situation. Yeah, definitely. Um, like, let's let's not, you know, Arteta's um, 
you know, Arteta's time at Arsenal very hot and cold. Like he's had some good, he's had some good victories, but also some quite sound defeats. And you know, you know, you've got to lose games and win games unless you're Arsenal in 2003 um, <laughs> but I'd, 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 me personally I, I would welcome Arsene Wenger back for the you know for this nostalgia feel that it would bring but in the same um, but in the same breath it's, it's, would it be beneficial for Arteta's development as a manager to have Arsene Wenger back into the club and in such a position where he has a lot of control, I I honestly don't think so. Uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm not uh, just not sure about that one. Uh, I just I, I, was, I don't think that would be right for. I was never I was never I was never part of the Wenger out. Oh no, I was you were part you of the Wenger out brigade yeah. when you know when that was a thing. I never was. Part of the Wenger out brigade, you know. Now, if I was to start my own brigade, I'd be in the Wenger stay away brigade. <laughs> uh, just a couple of quick stories before we get to the to the clickbaity thing that's in our title. Uh, Jonathan Woodgate is now twelve to one to be the new uh, from twelve to one now one to two to be the new Hartlepool United boss, uh, former Bournemouth manager uh, last season. I think he was caretaker manager. Really, he wasn't permanent manager. He was caretaker boss. So he looks like he'll be the new um, uh, Hartlepool manager. Simon Grayson of Fleetwood Town is over for them. Um, so that's another managerial casualty. Obviously, um, Oldham sacked Keith Curl. <clears throat> and we'll talk about them in a moment. And, uh, and uh, Steve Evans apparently is the favourite to be the new Stevenage manager as well. Right, let's get into our final story of the day, and it is all clickbaity. And uh, how much of this is true? I've got no sudden idea. But but the Oldham Times, that reputable source, the Oldham Times, reporting this, that former Spurs and Fulham manager Martin Yole <laughs> might not want to uh, manage again in the top level. Fancies a cushy job at the bottom end of the football league <laughs> with a club that apparently has no money and the owners are absolutely hated by their fans. Of course, Martin Yole, no stranger to us. He was manager of Tottenham from 2004. Yeah, he was actually a pretty decent Tottenham manager considering at the time they weren't actually that good a team. Um, and then he was full of managers to less success. Was he Norwich? In my head, Tom, I've got him, got him as Norwich City manager at some point, but I can't remember if he... I th I'm sure he was Norwich manager once. I can't remember that if he was, though. That's the thing. Was he Norwich manager? I'm sure he was Norwich manager at one point. No, apparently not. I I'm apparently making that up. I thought he was Norwich manager once, but I am apparently making that up. Uh, he was Tottenham... Fulham, he was Ajax boss. His last job, by the way, five years ago at Al Ali in Egypt. So hence why, um, you know, Al, Al Ali and Oldham Athletic, just the perfect clubs to, to be managing. <laughs> no offence, Egyptian football. Uh, this, so, yeah, they went on to be crowned champions of the Egyptian Premier League. So what do you think, in your honest opinion, that managing Al Ali in the Egyptian Premier League 
does that give you the the qualifications to manage Oldham Athletic <laughs> at the bottom end of League Two? Yeah, I think that's, there is some disrespect there to Egyptian football. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there is, and it was meant. <laughs> oh, Boundary Park though, Martin Yold in the dugout. Fan of it? I mean, it's clearly not going to happen. It's clearly bollocks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't think. First of all, Oldham won't be able to afford to pay him. <laughs> yeah. Pay with season tickets at Oldham. Yeah. No. No one wants him. But Oldham you know, at least <laughs> it'll probably be the closest that Martin Yule's been to Manchester since 2004. Anyway. <laughs> um. <laughs> Yeah, so I think I think I think it's a, it is a load of ball. I don't put any stock in it. Um, I think I think the I think someone at the that old that uh, Oldham newspaper is a uh, you know I think I think they're partying too much with Joey Barton. Yeah, <laughs> with whatever he's on. One thing that that should be pointed out, and and we must, I might have to do a video. I don't know what's that... going on. We're battling an Sorry? awful delay on this line. <laughs> this is the worst delay we've ever had, but anyway. I know, the audio's gone. <laughs> I was going to say, like, I'm it's, just showing um, up now. The only th- the only re- the, the only way I can see Martin Yol being at Oldham, I don't know if this is, you know, unless, to the best of our knowledge, um, Martin yol has got pictures of the owner of Oldham. <laughs> or equivalent, or the owner's got pictures of Martin Yole doing something you shouldn't have. That's the only way I can see him bringing him to the club. Um, on a more serious note, uh, none of the last 14 appointments at Oldham have reached 50 games. Jesus. And and I thought Watford were ruthless. Wow. <laughs> mm. uh, just... Just, There's only, yeah, weird. Only, only one manager in my spring, only one manager springs to mind to me who could pull off such a miraculous escape, and that is Sean Dyche. You heard it here first. Martin Yole for Oldham Athletic. That is this week's edition of the Football Fan Show podcast. Don't worry, I don't think it's going to happen either. Uh, We will be back next weekend with another edition of the podcast. Until then, you can follow us on Twitter at TFFS Live. Find us on YouTube, just search for The Football Fan Show, and join us on twitch.tv forward slash The Football Fan Show every Saturday for live football fan show. Thank you very much for tuning in this week. We'll see you next week. (laughs) 